Hey podcast people, how's it going? Azrin the Language Nerd here. Hope you're doing very, very well. We're gonna skip the usual introduction because I'm slightly tight on time on this particular Thursday evening. And so we're just gonna dive right into the, the subject at hand. Now, I wanna start things off on a very technical place. I believe when you're teaching adults or kids a foreign language, it's important to pick out a few major errors that the student or students is making. And you wanna make sure that you're really trying to fix those major errors. I think one of the biggest mistakes I will see with language teachers is that they will try to correct too much. They'll try and give feedback on way too many things. And one of the most effective ways to try and move someone forward and to have someone progress is to pick out one or two major errors or two or three major errors that the learner or learners is making and you wanna help them try and move forward on those errors. A great example is uh, there's an eight-year-old that I currently work with and we, we do English lessons together. They're private English lessons. And this particular eight-year-old, we do quite a bit of focus on writing. And when he writes, you know, he used to have a challenge that his writing was so messy that I could barely read it. It was really difficult for me to read his writing. It was not legible. Uh, on top of that, what he would do is he wouldn't start his lines consistently in the same place. Adults, when we write, for example, we will always start our writing and line up our writing to the left side of the page. Well, this child would start in the middle of the page. He would start kind of on the left. It would be slanted. Like, it was really difficult. And that was clearly a major issue for this particular eight-year-old. And so one of the first things, if not the first thing we actually started to work to work on was slow down when you write and always start writing on the left-hand side of the page right beside the margin that was one of the those were the two big focuses we had and they were consistent themes in all of our lessons until finally nowadays he consistently starts all of his lines all of his writing on the left side of the page and he writes legibly i'm able to read what he writes because he slowed down he's gotten better at writing letters and I believe that for adults, this is important too, picking out a couple of things and really focusing on those and trying to move them forward. For kids, it, it matters. I think from a language learning perspective, what I often will see is I will see language learners who try to fix too many things at the same time. They try and learn this grammar point, then they try and learn that grammar point, they try and learn this vocabulary, they follow this language learning program, they take this class, they're doing way too much. And because they're, they're doing, they're putting, they're trying to do so much at the same time that at the end of the day, they're not accomplishing anything. And so this is something I want you to think about. And if you are in that boat and you are in that position, I recommend that you try to focus all that energy that you're currently focusing in seven places, focus it on two or three places. And you will most likely see a heck of a lot more progress. This applies to language learning and of course applies to a variety of other skill sets in life. Now granted, one thing that is important to mention here is variety does have a certain value. So let's go back to this eight-year-old that I teach. You know, there was a point where I had to make a shift in how I was teaching him. I was being, I was really being strict and holding a line on him trying to write this story and him trying to finish this story. And it was leading to him being very stubborn. I was being equally stubborn and it was creating a lot of tension in our classroom. 
And it was, I had to do a lot of thinking because I thought to myself, there's a balance to be held here between me holding the line and him, his brain, the child's brain completely shutting down. If the brain shuts down, he's not learning. And seeing as this is like private tutoring outside of school, you know, I have less power, quote unquote, to make this child do things. I have way less power. I see him an hour or two a week. At school, he's there every day, five hours. Like you have more leverage. You can say no recess if you don't do this. You There's more, it's a different scenario, right? When you work with someone in a tutoring environment versus a traditional classroom environment where they go to school. And so I had to think about it. I was like, okay, I'm putting a lot of pressure. I've picked out a couple of things that I have decided are important for this student to deliver on. But maybe I need to reevaluate this because right now we're not going down a healthy path. And so sometimes if you are specifically focusing on one, two, three major things that you're trying to get better at, but you're just not improving, you're just not improving, you are stuck, you're getting frustrated, your brain is not, your brain is shutting down because you're putting so much attention on these things that you just cannot absorb. There is value in switching up your approach, maybe taking a break, maybe, um, maybe looking at a different element of the language, maybe approaching things in a different way. There's value in doing that. I've used this analogy before that language learning is very similar to eating. Like when you eat, your body, your, your stomach needs time to digest the food that you have given it. And when you're learning a language, it's the same thing. You consistently sticking on the same topics and your brain cannot comprehend it and you're getting confused, you're getting frustrated. Well, the answer might just be to take a three month break from that topic to let your brain digest all of this information that you have thrown at it. So that is definitely something that you might need to consider. Going backwards a couple steps and going on a slight tangent, um, I want to talk about uh, behavior management when you're teaching. Um, you know, I was talking about, this, again, this eight-year-old child that I'm teaching, and I was talking about holding the line. And in fact, this behavior management will apply to teachers. I think it's going to apply to a lot of language learners as well. You'll just have to look at it in a slightly different lens. So when you're, in my perspective, right, you have to try, you have to, how do I say this? You have to make sure that for the, oh man, this is difficult to say. So number one, when you're trying to manage behavior, I think holding the line is something that is quite important. You have to make sure that you hold the line and you do have to be strict in a certain sense. This goes for teaching other people. This also goes to just you as a language learner. You have to be strict with yourself. When you said, I'm going to do something, you have to actually deliver on it. At least most of the time, at least most, if not all the time, you have to try your best. I think as well, one of the things that, that is important for managing behavior as a teacher is relationship is the relationship you have with the student or with the students, plural. When you have a good relationship, when they like you, when they when they like you, you have a good relationship, they feel positively towards you, they want to make you happy, they enjoy coming to class, you immediately have way less friction. Immediately, at least in my experience, there's immediately way less friction. Especially when you balance good relationship and them liking you, your likability factor, with your strictness factor and with 
you having very clearly stated expectations of here's what's okay, here's what's not okay, and that's a real thing. I think as well, when you are teaching, and in fact, this is actually this is actually a, a life thing as well, something I'm not naturally good at, but but something I'm, I'm trying to get better at, and I have gotten better at, I would say, probably since 2012, 2013, all the way up until now, I've slowly, gradually gotten better at this. Um, conflict is okay. Creating discord between people is actually a healthy thing. It is not bad at all. I think a lot of people, because conflict and discord between different people doesn't feel good, we inherently think that it's bad, but it really isn't. I actually think it's not at all a bad thing. And so when you're teaching someone and their behavior, there's something that the student or students is, or they're doing that you disagree with, that you don't think is right, that goes against what you want to be happening in the class, it is okay for you to clearly state your truth and say, hey, this is not okay. I do not, I do not want this happening in my classroom. Taking it outside of a teaching context, same thing. When you're working with people in the workplace, with your friends, with your significant other, I think it is a healthy thing to be saying, hey, this, you are doing this. I don't like it because of this. That is my truth. And sharing it and putting it out there. It's powerful. It will create some discord. You might hurt some feelings. And you're going to have to do some real active listening to figure out like, what is the other person really saying? You might have to do some compromise. You're going to have to navigate the, res- the, the how do you call it, the reaction of the other person and how they, how they respond. You're going to have to navigate that response to come to a resolution. So a great example would be something like, um, let's take a teaching example. Um, you know, I remember I was talking, one of my students, right, a child again, another child, Uh, He was telling me how I was not being fair. He's really mad at me. You're not being fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. In my mind, I was being very fair. In fact, I was being more fair. I was actually going, I was actually being a little bit lenient, in fact. So I asked him, what does fair mean? He's like, what? I was like, what do you mean by I'm not being fair? Like, what does that mean to you? He's like, well, you're not doing what I want. And I thought, oh. That's not what fair means. Fair means this, and I explained fair. I said, you're not being fair because you are being selfish. Do you know what selfish means? He said, no. Selfish means you're thinking about yourself and you're not thinking about me. That's not okay. You're not being fair. So let's actually be fair. And like we had a real conversation. And I was like, look, I'm saying this. You're saying that you are actually being kind of mean here. You're being mean to me. This is not okay, man. Like, look, I'm asking you to do this. You're acting like this. We agreed on this. You're actually lied to me now too. Because you told me you do this and now you're not doing this. Like, let's figure this out. There's been other times where I've been in the wrong. Whether with adults, with kids, right? Um, and uh, it's, it's it, you just got to have that. You got to have that conflict. Conflict is not necessarily a bad thing at all. Even though it doesn't feel good. I think the biggest thing with conflict, the biggest keys for conflict in my perspective are you must share your truth. You must share and you must share it in a concise way, in a clear way, and try your absolute best to make sure that it makes sense to the other person. 
I think you also have to actively listen to the other person. You have to really listen to see what is their perspective. And then you have to make sure that you work towards a resolution. Understand as well that conflict sometimes doesn't get resolved in one moment. It's not something that happens in one get-together, in one meeting. It sometimes will take an extra amount of time. That's a reality for, for conflict. And it might take some time to resolve it. It's a real thing. So I don't know how we ended up on the whole con- on the whole topic of conflict, but I think it is a really good life skill. So I'm, I'm glad we actually ended up here. Now, let's go more back into language learning here. I've got a few more minutes before I absolutely have to leave here and, and, and have to end this podcast episode. But um, let's go back into language learning, uh, language learning territory. We've been drifting away. <laughs> um, so one thing I was thinking a lot about when it comes to language learning is trying to is is how you incorporate it into day-to-day life i've said this before this is not brand new in fact in many ways sometimes i am a little bit of a broken record i do kind of hit on the same the same themes sometimes but incorporating language learning into your life is something that i believe in tremendously you know i made a, a tweet i posted a tweet the other day where i said um in the tweet i said structure is overrated and what's more important is trying to figure out how you use the language on a regular basis. And it's funny because a lot of people interpreted structure in terms of in terms of grammar. Like grammar is less important than using the language every day. Now, that's not at all what my intended meaning was. My intended my intended meaning was that you have to try and figure out how can you start to use your language multiple times a day for short bursts of time every day. Let's let me say that again. How can you use a language multiple times a day but for short bursts of time throughout the day? Can you do 7 minutes in the morning, 4 minutes at, at, at in the afternoon and 22 minutes at night? That's a big win if you could do that every day, right? That's a really big win. Granted, there's value as well in doing like taking a class or doing like one hour study sessions and like there's value in doing those types of things as well and I I do them too but one thing I was I was thinking about recently is how I I do lots actually not just language learning you'd be surprised at how much you can get done in nine minutes in seven minutes in 16 minutes 21 minutes 19 minutes 31 minutes you'd be shocked how much you can get done and one, that's one thing I have always done with my languages. I have multiple points throughout every single day where I'm using multiple languages. Today, for example, I spent a good chunk of time on Gujarati because I'm trying to actually work on a Gujarati project, a bit of a, I'm not going to talk too much about it, but there's a slight project that's going on behind the scenes that I have to prepare for. That's a real life thing that I have to actually deliver on like for other people in Gujarati. So I worked a little bit on that today, worked a little bit on it yesterday. Somebody, uh, Somebody sent me a text message today in, uh, actually not today, yesterday in Mandarin. Had a couple characters I didn't know. I spent seven minutes going through those characters and trying to figure it out. You know, squeezing out those little bits of time is actually very powerful. In fact, let's go in a different, in a non, let's go, let's leave language learning and go into a non-language learning category again. But this is very important to me. And I've been really realizing this now more than ever, recently more than ever you'd be shocked at how much time you actually have in a day. You know, myself, right? And everybody, really. We're all busy. 
But when you really actually are present and in the moment and you're actually being and you actually are aware of what you're doing with every moment of the day, you'd be shocked how much you can get done. Like I had basically 19 minutes as I got in my car here. I was like, I've got 19 minutes before I have to leave. What can I do in 19 minutes? I decided I would record a podcast. When I was at my house, I had like a 12, actually not even 12, like like a, a 10 minute slot where I like a, a bit of slush time. I was like, what can I get done in 10 minutes? What, what could I get done? Well, I decided to do a, a quick administrative task I had in my calendar that's been kicking around for a long time, right? Or you can answer three emails. You can study for five minutes. You can go read your notes for three minutes. I think there's a lot of value. There's a lot that can be done by squeezing out time, cutting out a lot of the wastage of time that's happening every day, cutting that out and incorporating other things that you want to work on. And there's a lot of there's a lot of positive progress you could you could you could achieve with your languages, really with many different skills, right? By doing that. I today had like a 12 minute gap and I thought to myself, "Huh, I need to go for a walk." because it's going to clear my head and I have not been as active as I'd like to. And I know that if I go for a quick 12 minute walk today, I'm going to feel good about myself that I did something active when I haven't been very active. And it's going to create some positive momentum so that tomorrow I'm going to be more likely to be able to do more activity and really get something else in apart from a 12 minute walk. Squeezing out those moments, right? Use it for languages, use it for whatever you want to, but it's a very, it's a tactical it, it's a it's a powerful thing that you can all do. We can all do, myself included. I waste a lot of time as well, and I'm hyper aware. Like, I think I do better than most, and yet, I even me, I'm like, man, you know what? I could have attacked that differently, and I could have been happier. I could have done things better. Like, anyway, I have literally a minute, and I have to, I have to go. So let's wrap this podcast up here. I appreciate your attention. You guys are the best, and of course, we will talk very very soon. See you.